God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for these songs we can sing to you. Thank you that they are truth. Thank you for music. God, I just pray that uh, you open our hearts and open our minds to your message today. Soften our hearts. Make us pliable. So that when we go out these doors, we are effective for your kingdom. That we love people. That we love one another, our brothers and sisters in Christ. That we lift one another up and so that the world around us truly does look at us and, and see something different and see something attractive, see something precious. God, and I just pray that uh, the work you're doing in our lives, that, uh, that we don't get in the way that we yield to your spirit. Yeah, that we learn the lessons that you are teaching us moment by moment, day by day. We thank you for that spirit that you've left us with until you return. God, I just pray for Michael as he brings the word. And uh, I just pray that that, that word is from you. And I just pray for our, our kids' time. Pray for the time that we have with the children and with the adults that, uh, that God, you mature them and grow them the way that you want them to look, the men and women you want them to be. We thank you for the privilege to teach them, to raise them. God, we praise you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning again. We are uh, in the middle of a series in the book of Colossians. We've been doing that for a little while. I think this is 12 or 13 or 14. And we'll be doing that for a little while longer through the summer. Um, you can be turning in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, the very end of chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. There is an outline in the bulletin for you to follow along. If you don't have one, Bo would be happy to give you one. If you're one of the last first four to raise your hand after that, they're done. <laughs> Again, we are uh, participating in communion this morning. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then we invite you to participate with us in a little bit, a little while. Uh, we keep kids in during this time. Uh, lots of reasons we do that. Um, but we trust parents that you know your child's heart and whether they... Uh, need to, can, should participate, and so uh, in a little while when we distribute uh, the bread and the fruit of the vine, um, that you uh, monitor whether or not you let them participate. That is a family decision. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 20. Um, chapter 2 has been all about warning the Colossians against things. No different today, beginning in uh, chapter 2, verse 4. Uh, he warns them not to be deceived by persuasive argument. In verse 8, he warns them not to be taken captive by worldly philosophy or empty deception. In verse 16, he warns them not to let someone judge them based on minor things like what you eat, what you drink, 
how you celebrate the wonderful gifts of God through festivals and things. In verse 18, he warns them not to let anyone steal their prize through an excessive display of pride. And this morning as we look at verses 20 through 23, he's going to warn them to not submit themselves to the world's system of sanctification, getting right. Don't let the world tell you how, how to conform yourselves to what the Bible says you should do. So let me read verses 20 through 23 again, Colossians chapter 2. Paul writes, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in them, living in the world, do you submit yourselves to decrees such as, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion, self-abasement, severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Let's pray together. Father, as we look at your word, I pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts and our minds, and ultimately that you would affect our wills to do your will. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to spend the first part of our time this morning with that just first phrase, if you have died with Christ. If we don't get that, then we will miss everything else that Paul has to say. What does he mean if you've died with Christ? Well, there's, there's really there's two aspects of that. There's a, a call reality aspect of that. What, what does he mean by that? And there's a, a practical application, the second half of this verse. And in that first part, the reality of what does it mean to have died with Christ, there's a heavenly sphere, a call, or a heavenly reality, and an earthly reality. That heavenly reality we'll talk about is if you've died with Christ, dying with Christ is a synonym for salvation. So we're going to talk about that this morning briefly. What do we mean when we say, have you died with Christ? What does it mean to be a Christ follower? What does it mean to have salvation? Um, the crux of that is, have you placed your trust in the crucified and risen Savior? That's salvation in a nutshell, but, but there's a lot underneath that. Paul um, writes in, in Corinthians 15 that the gospel is that Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. And the third day He rose again according to the Scriptures. There's a lot in that, but first of all, it presupposes that there's something called sin which assumes that there's someone who has a standard of behavior. Well, that presupposes that there is someone, and that someone we say is God, and that standard we find in His Word, but maybe more importantly in the Word, Jesus Christ, as He came and He walked on earth. He was, as we read in Colossians earlier, the fullness of deity in bodily form. He was the perfect manifestation of who God is walking on earth. If you want to know what God was like, what His character was like, we look at Jesus. We look at the Gospels and we see how He acted towards people, believers and non-believers alike, how He loved, how He ultimately sacrificed. That's the picture of perfection, that standard that we're supposed to meet up with. And then there's a realization that I don't meet that standard. 
I don't look like Jesus. And God says, if, if you don't meet that standard, if you're not righteous like Christ is righteous, then there's a problem. You and I can't have fellowship, God says. And so in that process, there's a realization, oh, I need something. Because I can't, and nor will I ever, muster up the strength, the energy, the effort, the goodness in myself to satisfy God. And I am, the Bible says, under His wrath. The good news is, is that perfect man, Jesus Christ, took on God's wrath on the cross for you and me. He died for our sins. And in exchange says, if you believe in that, if you put your trust in that, you can have my righteousness. Complete righteousness. You can have that. As we talked about when we did, talked about Abraham a year and a half ago, in one sense, that process is changing allegiance. I tried to live my life the best I could in the way that I knew how, either by my own means or through the world system, and it didn't work. And so I'm changing allegiance, and now I'm saying, God, I need you. I'm putting my trust in you, not the world and not in myself. So when Paul writes, if you've died with Christ, all of that is wrapped up in that. And there's this, this understanding of, if you've died with Christ, and let's assume that you have, then the rest of what I'm going to say is true about you, or should be true about you. That's the heavenly reality, deals with salvation. But there's an earthly reality to that same idea. If we've died with Christ, the reality is we've died to sin. Now, if you're like me, you look at your own life and you go, boy, it sure doesn't seem like it. Why, it was just yesterday that I lost my temper or found myself telling a lie or found myself lusting after someone I shouldn't have or found myself coveting something that wasn't mine or found myself jealous or angry or prideful. It sure doesn't seem like I've died to sin, but the reality is, if you've died with Christ, if all that we talked about earlier is true, as we read in Romans chapter 6 earlier, you have died to sin. Let's go back and look at Romans 6 just for a moment. I want to point out just a few verses of truth. In chapter 2 of verse 6, Paul says, How shall we who died to sin, he's stating that as a fact, we died to sin, how shall we live in it? Verse 6, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with. Verse 7, For he who has died is freed from sin. The whole context of Romans 6, talking about what it means to have salvation. We have died to sin. Practically what that means is you are dead. If you belong to Christ, you are dead to the power of sin. It doesn't mean you're not going to sin, but sin is no longer your master the way it was before you came to Christ. When we sin, what we're doing is we're choosing to submit ourselves to a new master. We're choosing to submit ourselves to someone that we don't have to. We're not required to. As a believer, you have the power through the Holy Spirit to say no. 
So there's a, a heavenly reality. If you've died with Christ, you have salvation. There's an earthly reality. If you've died with Christ, you are dead. Really, you are dead to sin. It is not your master anymore. But if you're like me, your body sometimes screams at you, submit to me, satisfy me. Over and over, there's this loud voice in your head, I want or I need or I should. And what's and the reason why we do this this morning is because this, the, the bread, is a wonderful reminder, a necessary reminder that your body is dead to sin. And we need that reminder. I need that reminder. You need that reminder because day in and day out, your body is going to scream at you, satisfy me, submit to me. And we need this reminder to say, no, I'm dead to sin. I don't have to. And your emotions, it's not just the physicalness of your body, your emotions will scream at you, submit to me, satisfy me. And, and we get our emotions involved in sin and, and we, we don't think straight. And so that is why we partake of the fruit of the vine. It's, it is a tangible Reminder of the fact that the God of the universe loved us enough to sacrifice for us. To give His life for us. So that we don't have to give in to those emotions that say you need, you want, you should. It's all about you. That we can see that example of, of our Savior. Fully God. Every right to squash us like a bug because of our behavior, and yet He went to the cross for us. He overcame the emotion in the garden. Father, if there's another way. I really don't want to do this, but not my will, but Your will. He showed us what it looked like to overcome the emotion of our humanness. And so we need this reminder of what our God has done for us. And so we are, we're going to do that now before we deal with the rest of this verse, the rest of this passage. We can't get to the rest of this passage until we have been encouraged by what our God has done for us. And so we're going to take the bread and, and the vine. We're going to pass it out. We're going to talk about that a little more. And then we're going to come back and deal with the rest of what Paul has to say because there's some very practical realities to the fact that if you have died with Christ. So would you take a minute where you are and just oftentimes communion gets to be this somber, silent, quiet thing where it's very serious and it should be serious, but I want us to I want us to to revel in, rejoice in the fact that the God of the universe died for us. So would you take a moment and just pray quietly to yourself, thanking God, praising God for what He has done for you and asking Him to make that real so that you can understand the rest of what He has for us this morning. Would you pray silently, please? And I'll close this in a moment. We praise You because You chose to submit to Your Father's will.
for our sake and for the Father's glory. You chose to give your body to take on yourself the penalty that we deserved. And so we praise you and we thank you for that. We rejoice in your goodness. And we ask that you would use this bread to nourish our spirits, to remind us of who you are and what you've done for us. Again, for your glory. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. We partake of the bread, signifying that we identify with Christ in his death and that we too have died to sin. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice that you made, that through your blood we have access into your presence. We can come boldly into your presence, rejoicing in your goodness to us. God, as we partake of the fruit of the vine, would you use that to encourage us and remind us that you gave everything for us? As an example, that we too can sacrifice our wants and desires for your glory. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. We participate together by partaking the fruit of the vine, identifying with him that we too have the power through His blood to die to sin. So the question is, so what? If I'm dead to sin, then what? Paul goes on with the warning, then do not... I'm sorry, then why is if you are living in the world... Right, if, we're, if, we, if we died to sin, we have another reality. We have another place where really we dwell. The heavenly places. Why do you submit yourselves to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? In other words, why am I still doing what the world says I'm supposed to do to control my sin? Paul's not, we've talked before about rules and their place in the Christian life. We've talked about that a few weeks back. Paul's not readdressing that issue here, he's talking about people who, if we look down at uh, verse 23, these are matters which have to be sure. The appearance of wisdom, it looks like what they're doing seems wise. They've got this self-made religion. They've, they've put rules and regulations in place. They've kind of made their own religion. The NASB says self-abasement, really it's just kind of false humility and severe treatment of the body. These are rules that people have put in place because they can't control themselves. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat this body poorly to try to get it to behave. That's what we call asceticism. It's, it's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to corral it, force it to do what I want it to do by treating it poorly, denying it things. Some people even went so far later on as you beat yourself whether or not you are like Harry Potter or not. If you're familiar with Harry Potter, there was an elf called Dobie. Whenever he did anything wrong, he would beat his head against the wall. Right? That's kind of the idea. I'm going to hurt myself. I'm going to submit myself to something else to get my body to do what it's supposed to do. And Paul says at the very end, it's no value against fleshly indulgence. Why? Because it focuses on the body. It's a worldly way of trying to get done what God says needs to be done 
you read through the New Testament, Paul never denies the power, the evilness, the wickedness, the seductiveness of sin. He never denies that we shouldn't avoid it at all costs. What he's arguing against is, is that we're using the world's methods to try to make a heart change. The only way that we gain victory over sin is when our heart is changed. Now, I may put rules in place. Again, we've talked about this before. I may put rules in place that will keep me out of trouble. And that may even be good for a time. Because of addiction, because of the power of sin, right? In Romans 6, Paul says, when you submit yourself to sin, you become enslaved to it. And for a time, I may need to put rules into my life to help me get out from under that addiction, to help me change my thought patterns, the way I'm thinking, the way I'm relating to God, allowing Him to speak truth to my life, allowing the Holy Spirit to work. I may need rules in place, but rules will not change your heart. The only thing that changes your heart is the power of God working through the Holy Spirit in your life as you allow His Word to continue to move over your brain. That's Paul says in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Quit thinking along worldly patterns and think along godly patterns. Beginning in chapter 3, Paul is going to talk about how to do that. You have to wait a couple of weeks to get to that. By now, just the warning. Submitting to the world's method of getting you to behave will not change your heart. Because the focus is on the body. The focus is on us. And when our focus is on us, then we're all important and our flesh in a weird sort of way, is satisfied. It builds pride. As opposed to humbly submitting to God. So no amount of shame, no amount of <clears throat> possible consequences are ultimately going to change your heart. Let me give you a silly example of how I know that's true. When I was young, I could go into Walmart. One of the very first Walmarts in the country was opened in Clarksville, Texas, back in the 70s. And I could go into Walmart and I could buy one of these for 79 cents. Two songs. Right? But I could also go into Walmart, maybe in the wintertime with a coat, and, and slip one under and walk out with it, couldn't I? Right? This, not as easy. They made it easier. They, they came out with this later, right? This is easy. I could put that in my pocket, right? I could walk out of Walmart. Uh, there was a chance I could get caught. They had, you know, cameras and stuff and mirrors. But, and some people did that. Some people shoplifted. And then later they even had these things, right? These were not as easy to steal as these things. They were bigger. But nonetheless, people still would. But a lot of people didn't. People went and actually went to a store and gave someone money and they gave them this thing, right? Well, Technology continues to change. We live in the 21st century. And now, uh, people don't really buy these a whole lot anymore because now you can get on the Internet and you can push a couple of buttons and, and automatically that music shows up on your computer and you can play it. And there are lots and lots and lots of places that if you know where to go, you can get that music for free. It's still illegal 
in a lot of those places. There are some places that are legal that you can get music for free occasionally. But there are lots and lots of people who see nothing wrong with going on the internet and getting free music. Why? Well, there's no shame involved. It's normal part of our culture. There are no consequences. Who's going to know? Who's going to check up on me? When we remove the shame, we remove the consequences, our heart is evil. We think, I deserve that. We might say, well, times have changed and you know, the culture and people are more evil than they were. Listen, if, if, if you look back at the 50s and you say, boy, I wish it was, just, I wish it was like that again because people were so much better. No, nah, we just had more rules. Never get nostalgic about, I wish we could just go back. People were just as evil in the 50s as they are today. Don't make the mistake that somehow we're a whole lot worse off. Human beings have been evil since the fall. And in the 50s, we were really good at putting a lot of rules and regulations in people's lives, and people still were not living by grace. They weren't any different than you and I. They just they had more societal structures. There was more shame in doing certain sins. And so that fear of shame kept people from doing things that they would normally want to do or could do and that's not living in the gospel. It's not living by grace. It's living by rules and regulations. And Paul says, those really have no value against fleshly indulgence. If, you're, if your mind is still racing 100 miles an hour, I wish I could do that, 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 but I'm afraid of getting caught. Is that really honoring God? You may look good on the outside, but does it honor God? We happen to live in a culture in a certain period of time, which is really not new. There have been other cultures like this where we've taken off a lot of the restraints. We've taken off a lot of the shame of certain sins. It's not, people don't look at you wrong for certain things anymore. And we can get away with certain things more than we used to could. And we don't need grace any more or any less than people a generation ago or two generations ago or three generations ago. God wants us to live by faith, not by rules, not by regulations. To say, like Christ, I want to honor my Father. And so regardless of how I feel, regardless of what the world wants me to do or how to behave, my ultimate goal in life is to honor my Father. Like Paul says in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then he says a very important point, against such things there is no law. If we are walking by the Spirit, I don't need rules and regulations. I don't need someone to say, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. I don't need to put this big hedge of protection, which is what the Pharisees were doing. They were afraid of breaking the law, so they added more rules and regulations to their life. I'm not going to sin. I'm also not going to enjoy life because I've got all these rules. We can do that. 
where we can begin to develop a relationship with the holy God of the universe and live by the Spirit. The problem with that is it makes us, it makes me as a parent, it makes me as a pastor extremely uncomfortable to say, you know what, if you're walking by the Spirit, you don't need any rules. <gasps> They're going to go out and sin. <laughs> they just are. You are. If we take all the rules off, you're going to blow it. Because you're a human being. And as we've said before, sometimes rules are important to help us get from point A to point B, but God's ultimate goal is that you would walk by faith. That's nebulous. We can't, we can't hang stuff on that. I can't look at someone's life and go, oh, they've got all these boxes checked, they're a good Christian. Walking by faith is messy. Sometimes it looks different for me than it does for you because we're in different places. And it's hard. But those rules ultimately will not change your heart. And that's what has to happen if we're going to change, if a church is going to change, if a culture is going to change, if a community is going to change. People need to see changed hearts. And you look at someone and go, Why are you acting like that? Why are you different? Why, when this happens, don't you respond the way the rest of the world responds? And yet it doesn't seem like you're beating yourself up. That you've imposed all these rules. That, that you go to the church that says, don't do this or else. Why? How can you love your neighbor as yourself? How can you sacrifice your own pleasure for someone else in the midst of life? How do you do that? And then we get an opportunity to say, let me tell you about my God who changed my life. That's what Paul's after in chapter 2 of Colossians. Warning us over and over again, the world's system doesn't work. And in a couple of weeks when we get back, we're going to turn the corner. We're going to look at chapter 3. I would encourage you to read that several times between now and then. What does work? He begins chapter 3 the same way he began chapter 2, verse 20. If, but it's the other side of the coin, the other side of that salvation. Not if you've died with Christ, but if you have been raised up with Christ. It's, it's the same language. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about a reality that's happened to your life if Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. If you've been raised up with Christ, here's the answer. It's not rules. It's keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So that's the cliffhanger. You have to come back in a couple of weeks to get the rest of that story. In the meantime, don't submit to the world's method of making you look like a Christian. I don't want you to look like a Christian. I want you to be someone who Christ has so invaded their life that they can't help but looking like Christ, not because of rules, but because of a relationship with the sovereign God of the universe. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for your love for us. I thank you for... Thank you for your Son. Who in the midst of 
doubt and uncertainty, it seems. We read the garden narrative and there's pain and anguish. And yet he said, not my will, but your will. And he died for us. So God, we praise you for who you are and for what you have done. And we ask that you would invade our lives with your spirit that we might be different. That we might be changed. That the world might see in us something new. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing one more song?